Do you enjoy listening to On the Ear but wish you could earn ASHA CEUs for it? Start today. SpeechTherapyPD.com has over 175 hours of audio courses on demand with an average of 19 new audio courses released each month. And here's the best part. Each episode earns you ASHA continuing ed credits. Oh, no, wait. This is the best part. As a listener of On the Ear, you can receive $20 off an annual subscription when you use code EAR21. Just head to SpeechTherapyPD.com to sign up and use code EAR21, E-A-R-2-1, for $20 off your annual subscription. You're listening to On the Ear, an audiology podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Dr. Dakota Sharp, AUDCCCA, audiologist, clinical professor, and lifelong learner. While I primarily work with pediatric cochlear implants and hearing aids, I am absolutely intrigued by the many areas of audiology and communication in general. This podcast aims to explore the science of hearing, balance, and communication with a variety of experts in hopes of equipping you to better serve your patients, colleagues, and students. So let's go. We are live and on the ear, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. As clinicians, our scope of practice is full of a wide variety of assessments, interventions, and clinical skills, most of which we receive extensive training for prior to graduation. But what you might not find within your curriculum are lessons on leadership and advocacy and how to specifically pursue opportunities to further and represent the profession. Leaders within a field are responsible for key decision-making, enacting policies, providing a face for the public, both, I guess, in the good and the bad. But what does it take to become a leader within your field and where do you start? Today's guest is going to share her journey through a variety of settings to now a position of leadership for the field. Dr. Donna Smiley, PhD, CCCA, is the Chief Staff Officer for Audiology at the American Speech-Language Hearing Association. Prior to coming to ASHA, she was the Coordinator for the Educational Audiology and Speech Pathology Resources for Schools, EARS, program at Arkansas Children's Hospital. Dr. Smiley has practiced audiology for 30 years, co-authored a textbook about school-based audiology practice, that's school-based audiology from Plural Publishing, and was named a fellow of ASHA in 2018. She received her PhD in hearing science from the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. And just a financial disclosure, I'm the host of On the Ear and receive compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com. So introducing our esteemed, well-connected, as we were just talking about guest, Dr. Donna Smiley. Donna, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks. It's really nice to be here. And that introduction is a little scary because I'm not sure that I can live up to all that, but I will do my best to share what I, uh, my experiences <laughs> and what I know with you and your guests tonight. I think it's only fair that you realize you have earned this. You've clearly worked <laughs> a lot of different places. You've done a lot for our profession. So I'm already grateful right off the top, but why don't we talk about that then? What I want to take it all the way back before you know, 30 years ago, I want to go 31 years ago. What drew you to audiology specifically? Why this field? That's a great question. And um, sadly, Dakota, we have to go a little further back than just 31 years. <laughs> because You don't have to do this have... number. <laughs> okay, I won't. Um, <laughs> we would have to go back to when I was an undergrad student. I went to a small state-supported school in Arkansas. I actually went there to study nursing. And I had a, a non-majors choir scholarship, which I was really proud of at the time. And I had the opportunity to do some work study for the professor who was the, she was really the only professor in the communication sciences and disorders department. And the first time I ever met with her, her name was Dr. Martha Anderson. And when I met with her, she said, I'm going to get you to change your major. She liked students who had a pretty deep science background. And as a nursing major, you had to have lots of biology and chemistry and, yeah, sure. and those types of courses. So she, at first I said, no, there's no way, but she had a PhD in speech language pathology, but she had recently finished getting her C's in audiology. And she had two projects that she was working on. One that had to do with looking at how significant others rate the hearing handicap of their loved one that had hearing loss and and how did that compare to how the person rated their own, you know, issues with their hearing loss. Interesting. And she was also, yeah, she was also doing a study related to assistive listening devices, which when I think back up 
to what we were dealing with. It was very archaic, certainly compared to what we have now. But she really did entice me to come over to change my major. And so in the beginning of my junior year, I did. I really liked the audiology pieces. I liked the equipment and I went to a really small program. And so there were very, we had a very small class. And I remember the other students would say, if they couldn't get the audiometer to work or the tympanometer, they would say, go get Donna. She likes that stuff. So I really was drawn to the certainly not just the equipment, but really sort of the the story or the information that we could obtain with a tympanometer and with an yeah. audiometer and the picture that it began to draw about a person's issues with their hearing. And I just, I liked all of that kind of stuff. So I ended up doing a master's degree in audiology. I practiced for a while, wanted to go back to school. So I went to the University of Tennessee. And the great thing, Dakota, is I really don't ever get up and think, gosh, I wish I'd done you know X, Y, or Z instead of audiology. I truly, to this day, really love much about what we get to do in this field. And so I'm grateful that she turned me on to audiology and really kind of set me on that path. That's great. That's great. I love that story. And I also agree with your draw. It's almost like, you know, you're a detective solving a case, right? You're doing all the different tests to give you the pieces of information. When I'm describing differential diagnosis to my students, it's like the best way to understand it is like you're pulling pieces of evidence to get to the final culprit. That's great. That's great. Okay. So I know you've had a lot of different clinical roles. So it sounds like you finished school and then tell me about some of your early clinical roles. And then I know, you know, the big picture here is we're talking about you're in a, you know, a really great position of leadership and advocacy for the field. I'm curious as we're kind of reflecting on those positions you've been in, what moments or you know experiences drew you to take on a leadership role maybe in those settings or kind of shine some of your leadership skills that kind of would project you along to where you are today? Does that question make sense? It makes great sense. And sadly for you, I love to talk about all those things. <laughs> Not sadly for uh, me. This is why we're here. <laughs> well, let me go back to that time when I was an undergrad, because one of the things that I think is really important in my own journey in leadership and advocacy for the field was that same person, Dr. Martha Anderson. And one of the things that she really instilled in us was how important it was to participate in issues related to the field, uh, to get involved with our state association, to pay attention to what was going on around us, that it wasn't just about getting up every day and going to a job, but that there would be times in which we had to advocate for either our profession or the people that we served. And so I really did get some of that from her. And then when I finished my master's degree, I worked at Arkansas Children's Hospital. I actually have worked there on and off uh, since the late 1980s because I did some graduate student work there. But I began to work there and I saw patients in the clinic. And, you know, this is back in the day when behind the ear hearing aids were quite large and we saw (laughs) a big percentage of the pediatric patients in Arkansas. But, you know, one of the things that that I became interested in was this idea of educational or school-based audiology. And I think part of the issue for me was I loved being that detective that you talked about, being that diagnostician and helping a family kind of navigate those initial parts of their journey of learning that their child had a hearing loss and getting new amplification and all of that. But I, I wanted to figuratively go home with them because what I knew was that while they were there with me, that we could make sure that they knew how to use the amplification, that they were gaining some information about what this meant for their child and the child's communication journey. But especially in a state like Arkansas, and there's so many examples of this across the country, but in a state that's really rural, they were going to have some difficulties because they were going to go back to a community where their child might be the only child that had hearing loss and their child might be the only child in school or preschool that had you know, hearing loss. And so there was not going to be a wealth of knowledge in those areas about how to work with that child, how to support that family. And so I just had this, it was just sort of like, it was a calling. I really wanted to go with them. And so I ended up leaving Arkansas Children's as a clinical or clinic-based audiologist, and I became a consultant for the state where I traveled basically all over the state and tried to, to support 
school staff in working with kids that were deaf and hard of hearing. The challenge with that is while I had some amazing people to work with, it was a lot. And I basically uh, had almost the entire state. We weren't doing what I would call true school-based audiology. It was more of a consult type model, which again, was certainly better than nothing, but it was exhausting and it was a lot of travel and I was young. And so I ended up coming to the, going to the university to teach for a bit. And then I ended up going back to school. And so when I came back to Arkansas, after I did my PhD, I ended up teaching for several more years. And then the door opened for me to have an opportunity to be a part of building a program of school-based audiology services in Arkansas. And we did it as Uh, consultation or contracts through Arkansas Children's. So in terms of my professional journey, that's a lot about, you know, kind of continuing to try to figure out how to get to do what I wanted to do. And I'm very blessed that I had a lot of people along the way that opened doors and that saw my vision and saw what I really wanted to accomplish. And so when I left that position at the beginning of 2021, I left it in great hands with a team of audiologists and a couple of speech language pathologists who carry on that service today. So I'm really thankful for that. I think part of being able to get to do that, though, does relate back to a leadership pathway. And again, I go back to my very first job. I worked at Arkansas Children's Hospital. I worked for an audiologist whose name is Dr. Patty Martin. And Patty was young also. She was a couple of years older than me and, and had a little bit more experience than me. But she was always open to you know, let's get involved. Let's participate in the parent support group for children who are deaf and hard of hearing. Let's support the state association. Let's, you know, do some presentations for them. How can we get involved? And so from her perspective, she was very service oriented. And so she allowed me to have some of those opportunities. And then I think early on, I just had some opportunities where people sort of saw that I had some interest in participating in, you know, state level types of activities. A couple of people reached out to me, asked me to get involved with our state association, which is the Arkansas Speech Language Hearing Association. And I had an opportunity to develop some leadership skills and to watch other people become or be leaders. And so I learned from some really wonderful people in the area of speech language pathology and audiology. And so In the state association, I had the opportunity to advocate for our professions with our state legislature and with our Department of Ed and with our Department of Health and Human Services and all those different agencies. So it was really by having people invite me to come along, you know, on this journey of serving my profession that I really had an opportunity to develop some great leadership skills. I'm still on that journey because I still have lots to learn. Absolutely. I think one of the things I would say to anybody that's listening, if you are in a leadership type position or a volunteer leader and you have the opportunity to invite someone to come along with you on that journey, I really want to encourage you to do that. And if you're a person that's looking for ways to get involved and maybe you think you're too young or that you don't have enough experience, then what I would tell you is that look around and look around, not necessarily at the national level first. But look around in your state, maybe even look around in your place of employment. You know, if you had the opportunity to set up, you know, let's say May is Better Speech and Hearing Month and you had the opportunity to set up a couple of professional developments, development opportunities for your coworkers, that's a form of leadership. It's not always about having a title or being the person that everybody sees as the leader, but just being willing to serve in ways that are helpful to your coworkers or to the people that you serve or to, you know, even at your state level. I always say that what I know about state association work in our fields is that there always is a need for volunteers. And so even if you just call up the person who's in charge of your state convention and say, hey, can I can I volunteer to help with registration or can I volunteer to put together the set of people that will moderate your sessions, you would be stunned at how 
much that's needed and how easy it is to do that type of opportunity and what a help it is. And then it gets your foot in the door. And especially in a state association, there are a couple of states that probably have enough volunteers, but most of our state speech language hearing associations and maybe some of our state level academy of audiology type chapters are always on the lookout for people to volunteer. And volunteering is really a part of leadership. So just some ideas. Just a yeah, few ideas. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, I think you have such a great journey. I really like the picture that you said at the beginning of like, you really mentioned several mentors. And I think that's a really yes. big part of anybody who wants to be a leader. You can't just be, I mean, I guess some people are really gifted with leadership skills, but almost everyone models it after someone who was a leader to them. Yes. And so I think this is something we've talked about on this podcast before, but finding mentors is such an important part of longevity in a field, right? If you're looking for upward mobility, if you're looking for, you know, trying to be a leader in the field one day, you can't just figure it out all on your own. You're going to really need someone to model after. And so I love that comparison you started off with and that in each of these positions you were in, it wasn't just you figuring it out. It was either you with a mentor or you with a team of other people. And I think that's such a great starting point for everything as well as just the point of just being service oriented. One of the first things you mentioned, I think, is you just noticed this need for school-based audiology. And so rather than, you know, saying, oh, that's kind of interesting. Hopefully someone else will figure it out. <laughs> you are actively looking for opportunities. And of course, that's where leadership arises, right? Where there, where there's an opportunity to serve something, well, somebody's got to lead that effort. And so I think it's really interesting. That's where a lot of this has come for you is just seeing a need, doing what you can to help. And you know what spawns out of that is the ability to lead others into the same thing. So I think that's a really cool way to tie all of those things together. I love that through line. Are there any really big, just like highlights from your career, things that you'll never forget? Maybe it's like a patient or an interaction or an accomplishment really that you're just like, these are the things I want on that list of awesome at the, <laughs> when I finally retire. Well, your podcast is not long enough for me to list all of the wonderful <laughs> opportunities I've had, but I do, as you ask that, I do have, and I think this is a great lesson for all of us to look for opportunities to learn from the patients or clients, whatever we call them in our places, from patients and their families. And I think that is particularly true for me. I have a family that I worked with and I began working with them. I actually, this was when I, I did some home visits for them. This would have mm-hmm. been back in the mid nineties and it was a little girl and she had hearing loss. And so this was something that was provided through the early intervention program and they contracted people because we typically did it at night. And so had the opportunity to work with this family. And, you know, I was a pretty young audiologist, but of course, you know, I thought I knew everything. And the lessons that I learned from that family and their journey, that patient of mine is now in her 20s and I still have some contact with her family. And she just... She taught me a lot because her hearing loss was not textbook. Her family taught me a lot because their journey didn't follow any textbook. And most of our family's journeys don't follow the textbook. Absolutely. And I think what I like to tell, you know, students and other professionals that I get an opportunity to work with that, you know, we have to learn those things in the textbook, but we also have to be open to allowing our patients and our families to show us that hearing loss affects them in a different way or that their family dynamic is different than my family dynamic was. And so I learned a lot about the grieving cycle because this family and they would say the same things if they were here, but you know, it was difficult for them to really wrap their heads around, you know, this hearing loss. I think um, one parent seemed further along on that grieving cycle than the other parent. And then I learned a lot about how that cycle is a cycle (laughs) and Mm -hmm. it comes back around and that, you know, you think, okay, well, this family's doing great and they've accepted this and they're moving forward and then something happens and it kind of puts them back into that. Oh gosh, you know, we're back to knowing that this is not how every other, you know, kid her age, you know, functions. So, I think the lesson that I want to take away from that particular family was that I need to be open to listen, 
to what the patient tells me, what the family tells me, that I'm an audiologist and I often think, okay, now I've got all the information about the hearing aids or the cochlear implant or, you know, how we should do this or how you should do that. But the truth is they're the people that are living with it. Sure. And I know early in my career, we didn't talk much about patient-centered care and we certainly talk about it a lot more now. Mm. And I think we were trying to practice that, but we didn't quite do it as well as I hope we do it today. I hope we have a, a much bigger awareness, you know, of that. So I think that family to me, this young lady is, I get to see her through some social media now and her parents. And I just love seeing the person that she's become and the things that she has overcome. Yeah, I would say probably Dakota, the other thing that is one of those things that I am really excited to be able to have been a part of was that creation of the EARS program at Arkansas Children's Hospital. Sure, and I sure. didn't do that by myself. It was a team effort with several audiologists, as, as well as Dr. Patty Martin, um, who was the director of audiology. And Dr. Steve Upson was one of the other audiologists that he and I were two of the first that really started doing that. And we kind of had this vision and we really wanted to do it. And I will always be happy that we were able to develop it and that we were able to develop a a program that appears to be sustainable and appears to be needed. So I'm really, I hate to use the word proud, but I am very proud. That's that's the perfect word for it. Yeah. That that was really (laughs) what my question was too. You know, those accomplishments that you're proud of. It seems like another big through line here too, is just your connections with other people and the kind of, I mean, Again, we were talking before we really started the recording, but we were talking about, you know, audiology is not that large of a field, but it can be an even smaller world if you're one of those people who really networks a lot and makes a lot of connections. And you're really one of those people. I was just telling you some of my career journey and you knew somebody at every single place I've ever been. So that's no small feat. So I think that's a really big aspect of it, too. How do you see the so I think just some of the things we're talking about in terms of leadership skills to foster, you know, finding a mentor, watching their leadership style. So you can learn from that, looking for opportunities to serve and kind of jumping into those opportunities. And then another one is just networking with others, right? So how has that been a big aspect of your leadership style or what led you here is, you know, to your role today in terms of networking and connecting with others? Sure. Let me make one comment about the mentoring piece, because I think it's important. And that is that I don't think I haven't had just one mentor. I've been really fortunate that I've had a lot of mentors. And I think you have to be open to that, that in the different parts of your journey, that you need to look for people that you can, you know, model after that you can get to know that you can learn from, and that it'll probably change through your career. And if you take different paths. So, you know, I certainly had some mentors um, early on that were pediatric audiologists. And then when I was the state consultant in Arkansas, I had a boss was a teacher of the deaf and she was a great mentor for that time. And we're still our friends today. And then when I was did my PhD work, you know, I had a mentor in my advisor uh, that worked out. I mean, it doesn't sure. always happen that. And then I've had speech language pathologists and audiologists in places that I've worked. So what I would say is that, you know, don't assume that one mentor, you know, you're kind of one and done. Look for mentors along your path. And if you feel that you're having difficulty making those connections with somebody, you know, look around, do some reading, ask some questions of other people about, you know, how can I um, choose or how can I get a mentor type relationship when it's not happening naturally or organically. So that was one thing I wanted to comment about the mentoring piece. And then in terms of networking, there are times in our life when we think, okay, networking is just a fancy word for you talk too much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I agree um, with that. (laughs) I don't agree either, but I sometimes wonder if people think, okay, now she's the person who her report card from elementary school says she talks too much. She's too social, (laughs) which weirdly enough, I wasn't when I was that age, I was actually really painfully shy. But I think one of the things that first you have to get over the hump with, and that is that, you know, networking, it really can be a very organic occurrence. It does not have to be forced. It doesn't have to be small chit chat. It really can be more about looking around, finding people that are doing things 
in the field, you know, or whatever, that are doing things in the field that are similar to what you're doing. And, you know, reaching out to them, you know, these days, hey, can I set a Zoom call up and ask you, you know, about how you made this happen or how you do that. Most of the time, especially in our field and both of our professions, most of the time people are more than happy to do that. It's just sort of who we are. It's how we ended up in fields like this because we all say it, we like to help people. So a lot of times the networking piece, you know, sometimes you have to set it up. Sometimes it does, like I said, happen organically. You go to a conference, you participate in some kind of, you know, program, you get involved with your state association or state academy. And so you have to look for those opportunities to do that networking. What I have learned, Dakota, is that across my years of having an opportunity to volunteer for different, whether it be ASHA or my state association, volunteering, the reward of that was huge. And it was much more I got more out of it than I put into it because now I have this network of friends all over the country, as you and I discovered, because (laughs) there are people that along the journey, when I've stepped up and said, Hey, I'll volunteer to do that, or I'll volunteer to, you know, participate in that activity. Then I've had the opportunity to meet people. And now I feel like I have this friendship network of audiologists and speech pathologists all around the country and a couple who aren't even in the country around the world. And really, I think a lot of times people say, well, you just need to be good at small talk. I actually really hate small talk. What I do like to do, though, is I do like to interact with people and sort of get to that. What do we have in common? And so when you and I began our conversation before we started recording, it's like, Mm -hmm. I want to know who you are. And so I asked you a little bit about your background. And so, yeah, we began to figure out that we have all these connections. And this is going to I'm getting a little too philosophical, probably. But no, that's what we like that here. (laughs) I think one of the things that making connections like what you and I did before we started the recording is that it helps us see each other more as humans and not as, okay, she's the chief staff officer of audiology. I'm a human. I love my work. I want to do this because I want to serve the field of audiology and the patients that we serve, but I also am a human being and I want to be able to see other people. And I think that some of the issues that we continue to have in our professions, if we would sort of stop and look at each other as humans and not as, you know, adversaries or whatever, that we would find that we have a lot more in common than we have that's not in common. So I hope I got to that. I do think networking is something that a lot of people, I think, just feel like that they don't want to do it or that it's a negative. But really, networking is really about making connections with people that may be doing similar things to what you're doing or that you have the opportunity to learn from. And one of the places, and again, Dakota, this was one of those things where there was a need. I was interested, but back many, many years ago, the way that some of the leadership councils for ASHA were set up, there were two representatives from, well, actually there were representatives from each state and it was based on the number of SLPs and audiologists that you had in your state. And we had an opening in Arkansas and I was like, well, we had never had or hadn't for a long time had an audiologist in one of those roles. Typically it had been speech pathologist. So I was like, well, I'll run for that. That sounds interesting. And that helped me learn some advocacy tools because then I had the opportunity on behalf of ASHA to do some Capitol Hill visits and I was terrified. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the nice things about the way that when we pre-pandemic and hopefully when we get around the pandemic, we'll go back to doing those Capitol Hill visits. And we have staff that give you all of the information and help you understand how it is that you connect with your legislators from your state and how it is that you talk to them about issues that are important to you. And so that was very helpful at a national level to really help me figure out, you know, how do I advocate on such what felt like an enormous scale? I just had to get the education about it and I had to keep doing it. So I kept doing it. And every year when we came back for the meeting, it was somewhat optional for you to do Capitol Hill visits, but I always opted to do them because I knew that it was something that was hard and that I would grow from it. So I 
kept putting myself out there. And, you know, I can't tell you that any legislator or any of their staffs know who I am, but um, we did have one person that worked in one of our senator's offices and we probably saw him seven, eight years in a row. And I promise you by the end, he knew who we were. That's because great. he would always remember he had a son that had had tubes in his ears. And so we always connected on that. And so, you know, you just have to kind of look for those opportunities. And sometimes there are opportunities that stretch you and that aren't as comfortable, but there's usually other people that will be happy to support you in doing those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think that's a great reminder too. So for you, stretching it was, you know, doing advocacy at the federal level. And then you mentioned before that even just the idea of like networking with others can be stretching to someone else. You know what I mean? Like that's just the idea of starting up a conversation with someone. But I think the way that you phrase it is so wonderful that these are just other people, right? And if we, there's no requirement that you have to start every conversation with some chit chat about the weather in your area. I mean, you can just find common ground. The field is small enough that somebody's going to know somebody that you know, you know, and I think that's a really great starting point for a lot of these conversations. And I love how you just brought that to how they lead to opportunities that you wouldn't have expected before. I think that's really, really great. You've got such a good way of tying it all together. I can just see the ribbon, you know, threading through this whole conversation. Okay. So then let's talk a little bit, speaking of Capitol Hill, let's speak a little bit about your current role. Do you live in DC? Do you have to be in DC for that? I know that's where headquarters are for you guys, but tell me a little bit about how you became the chief staff officer of audiology and what that role looks like for you. Well, I do currently now live in Maryland, so about 25 minutes outside of D.C. when there's no traffic, (laughs) which is never. Um, (laughs) So Ash's headquarters are in Rockville, Maryland, and we also do have an office that's down in D.C. on Capitol Hill that in normal times our legislative staff, our governmental affairs and public policy staff have offices there. So interestingly enough, I think, well, let's see, in 2000. 13 to 2015, I served on the board of directors for ASHA. And again, it was one of those things that I had done a lot of volunteer work for ASHA. I had been on some committees. I'd been asked to do the scope of practice back in 2004, that update. I'd been on that committee for the scope of practice for audiology. I'd been on the legislative council. And again, those were just things that often I did, you know, they were short assignments or short term types of issues. And then the legislative council, I really served my state for that. But so probably sometime in 2012, someone from the Committee on Nominations and Elections reached out to me and said, you have been nominated to run for vice president for audiology practices. Would you allow us to put your name forward? Because if you are willing to go forward, then, you know, you could end up on the ballot, but they have to know, you know, can they consider you and they need some information from you. So I said yes. And I ended up being elected to that position. And so I had three years on which I served on the board of directors and probably any of your listeners and yourself that when you think back to times when you've had opportunities to serve, you know, that close to the inside of an organization, you really do get to learn you know, what is it that happens on the inside, what really is going on and what I figured out, although I had always had great experiences in my volunteer opportunities with ASHA, what I figured out is that ASHA spends an enormous amount of time and effort and resources on issues that are important to audiologists, lots of advocacy efforts, lots of resource development efforts. And so my time on the board really kind of made me think, wow, you know, this you know, somewhere in my career, it might be interesting to work for ASHA because ASHA does employ, uh, we have about, we have almost 300 employees and we have, I think, nine or 10 audiologists and probably, I'm going to guess maybe 30 speech pathologists. And then of course, all the other people are experts or, you know, have expertise in their different fields. So I just kind of had this interest in, now that I could really see what you know, it wasn't exactly a behind the curtain look, but it was a little bit of an understanding of what ASHA did on behalf of audiologists. And so I just became really interested. And for me personally, the timing really worked out. I have a, my husband and I have a son who's in his first year of college. And so he was getting close to graduation or, you know, he was in his senior year when I applied for this job. Sure. Unfortunately, 
the job came open because Dr. Neil DeSarno, who had been in this role, and he was the chief staff officer when I was on the board of directors, he passed away in April of 2020. And so this position opened up and they posted it. And I interviewed for it late in 2020 and started in early 2021. And so for the first pretty much eight, nine months. We lived in Arkansas. My son finished high school. Um, We were working virtually and not in the office as much. And so then in September, my husband and I moved to Maryland. So it's been, my husband had never lived outside of Arkansas and he's loving it. We live kind of in an urban area. So we're really taking advantage of that. And um, our son is in college in Arkansas. (laughs) So that's hard for this mom's heart, but he's having a great experience. So that's great. You know, on a day-to-day basis, it's interesting, Dakota, because I feel like while I do have a lot of, I have to spend a lot of time thinking about things that are related to audiology, I also have a couple of other things that come up under my CSO role, and one of those is ethics. So the Board of Ethics and the Ethics Office, that's part of my leadership responsibility. Accreditation of all academic programs, both in speech pathology and audiology, that also is one of my responsibilities. And certification of all 218,000 members. And that's, I need to take out the students, but so let's say 217,000 members somewhere thereabouts. But Dakota, what I'm really happy about is that I have some amazing people in the roles that take the leadership for those. So we have a director of ethics and accreditation and certification. All three of those people are not in the professions, but they are certainly experts in their field. And then we have an amazing director of audiology and she has a whole team of audiologists and they are wonderful to work with. And I wish that I could capture all the brain power that's in those four groups and that you could see, you know, all the things that are going on behind the scenes on behalf of the professions. So while I do like to spend time thinking about audiology, you know, I do have some other responsibilities, but again, it's been a great learning opportunity. I've learned more about accreditation and certification and, you know, how a board of ethics works than I ever thought I would know. And I have had the great opportunity to, have an inside view of what's going on with audiology. And so you mentioned, you know, we talked a little bit about advocacy. We've spent an enormous amount of time in 2021 advocating for services for audiologists to be recognized in a different way through the Medicare Act. And we've also spent an enormous amount of time looking at our response, what our response would be to the FDA related to over-the-counter hearing aids and their proposed guidelines that came out. And so the great news is, while I have been privy to all of those conversations and see the end results, it's wonderful because we have this great team working together through the governmental affairs and public policy staff, as well as our audiology practices staff. And we are really blessed at ASHA to have a couple of people within our governmental affairs and public policy group that have actually worked on Capitol Hill so they actually, they really understand like who are the people that we need to go to to try to advance our issues and how does it work and do I need to get alarmed that it doesn't appear to be working like I want it to be working sure. because they really understand the inside piece of that. So every day is a different day and there's lots of new and different activities to be involved with. And I think one of the things I've enjoyed, I've gotten to have some great conversations with some international partners through the WHO, the World Hearing Forum through WHO. We have some great partners at the Ida Institute, which is in Copenhagen. I love their resources. Yes, me too. And I knew of them, but I mean, now it's like I'm talking to the people. And once again, I think they're amazing and they're the nicest people that you could possibly meet. (laughs) And they come up with some amazing resources. So Every day is is pretty exciting. It's yeah. exhausting, but it's exciting. <laughs> yes, and it's so many different roles, and it just sounds like yes. it's the perfect culmination of all of the roles you've served in so far, yeah. and then also expanding into skills you probably never thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. I just think that's such a great, again, with the through line too, with a lot of those skills that you've mentioned, the networking. I'm sure at this point, you know, now that you're really in a more leadership position, it's a lot more mentoring with some people you've worked with in the past, at least when you were talking to me beforehand about some of our connections, it sounds 
sounds like you've been a real mentor for a lot of these people. And then, you know, now you're not just looking for opportunities to serve, you're way more on the big picture. How do we improve as a whole profession, not just, you know, more micro opportunities, but that's, that's great. I I really think that's really interesting. I think now that you have this kind of from the top perspective, we talked a little bit about getting involved at a state level. And I do think that is like, I can't, you know, be more of a proponent. I'm on the board for my state audiology academy and state uh-huh. speech and hearing association because I'm like I got to I got to help somehow, right? So Good. I think that's something that we could probably even continue to chat about if you like. But if there's other things you can think of maybe that aren't as, you know, you know sign up for your state level organization that are ways to either advocate more for the profession or I guess these are kind of two separate questions, either advocate more for the profession or kind of refine some leadership skills. I guess we've kind of talked about the leadership skills. So I guess we could speak a little bit more to the advocacy side of things, just ways for audiologists that they might not have considered before. Sure. Well, and, and, you know, if a person is a young audiologist just coming into the field, or maybe even if they're an AUD student, definitely there are some easy ways to get involved with advocacy One, I know that ASHA has on our advocacy site, our website, that portion of the website, we have a take action um, opportunity. I believe that AAA has that also. So what I would encourage people to do is that when, well, first of all, you can just go to those sites right now. And if there are opportunities that we need constituents to reach out to their legislators about, you'll see those on those sites. And it's a really easy way to do it. Basically, you put some information in about where you live. And typically these days, the systems will be able to say, okay, well, you know, Senator so-and-so is your person or Representative so-and-so is your person. And it gives you a way to, typically there are pre-formulated messages that you can send to those folks. And what I would encourage people, you know, sometimes they think, oh, it's just a pre, you know, pre-formulated message, but take that message and really customize it. I remember I would always take those letters and I would you know, rewrite them a little bit to talk a little bit about what I was doing specifically, you know, that related to that issue. Right now, I can tell you one of the issues that's out there is the reauthorization of EDI, of the Early Hearing Detection and Intervention Act. So even, a, I mean, the simplest thing that you could do is to go to the ASHA site, find that within the advocacy, and there's a button at the top that says advocacy, so it's pretty easy to get to, and send your legislators a note about why you want them to reauthorize and additionally fund Eddie and all the information is there. So that's like a really easy thing to do. I think the second next thing that I would encourage people to do, and again, this doesn't matter how much experience you have in the field, but look for opportunities for when your, you know, legislators, when your representatives and senators are in your home districts and you can Hmm. go and visit them. Now that may sound scary. (laughs) I've done a couple of things over the years. Many years ago, there, this is probably about 20 years ago, one of my state, my state representative was going to be back in the home district and he was doing a round of going to like public libraries and people could come and you weren't going to get to spend more than about two minutes with him. And so I went to the Azure website. I printed off something about whatever the issue was at the time that I was interested in. I took a little, you know, thing to go because we at ASHA, we have some like one page flyers about the issue. And I took it, put my name and phone number and email on it and invited him to contact me if he or his staff had any questions about it. And I got one second. I mean, it was a half a second, with him, (laughs) but still I did it. I stood in line. And then other times I have made appointments. The point of that is that it's not just about coming to D.C. to do that. It's about meeting people in their home districts. And a lot of our legislators and or their staff want to do that and never discount meeting with a staff person. The first couple of times I made Cowboy Hill visits, I was like, well, gosh, darn, I'm so sad that I didn't get to meet the senator or meet the representative. But what I figured out is that those staff people, they're the ones that actually know about the issues and they're going to be better I'm going to have a better conversation and be more, you know, have more influence because they actually are the person that's supposed to know the depth of that issue. Sure. So, you know, don't be disappointed if 
you end up just meeting with somebody that's staff because honestly, you can still develop those relationships with them, whether they be in your home district or if they're here, you know, in the DC area. So those are some like really simple things that people can do that are advocacy related and that don't require you to, you know, travel across the country to do them. And of course, right now, most of the offices on Capitol Hill, you're not going to be able to get a face-to-face visit because of the time that we're in, but even more so, you know, set up a Zoom call or, or those kinds of things. That's even easier. You might actually, you know, get to talk to somebody who's up on Capitol Hill, but you didn't have to do the travel or the parking or the metro or any of those kinds of things. Absolutely. And I think of all the emails I've sent, and I normally just go to that link, I click the link, I type in my yeah. name, and I'll add in a sentence that here or there if there's something relevant. I have had it, I think it was at least once, it might have been twice, that they emailed me back. And it was like, yep. it was specific. It wasn't just a canned <laughs> response. I was like, oh gosh, I wasn't expecting you to really read this. I was hoping you would, but I guess I couldn't say I was expecting it. So yeah. it is really great how it doesn't take that much effort to do, and it really can have an impact. And so it it's can. all of us together putting in those little impacts that really, you know, can have a, make a really big wave of change. So yeah, those are really great pieces of advice. Thank you for that. And I think transitioning off of that from making big waves. So I'm getting, this is kind of a two part thing here, but I, the reason I even reached out to you in the first place is I read a great article that you wrote for the ASHA leader on OTCs and over-the-counter hearing aids and kind of what to expect and how to see them as a positive and how they're going to expand reach. And I thought that was just a really great perspective. So I wanted to talk to you about that. But then when I learned more about you, I was like, okay, wait, now I really want her to talk about some of her leadership and how she got to this point. But since we've got some time, I'd love to talk a bit about maybe if we want to start with kind of now that you're behind the curtain, so to speak, you know a little bit more about the policies that are coming, you're connecting with other countries. What does the future of audiology look like to you? And that can be as specific or as general as you'd like to answer. And then if we, you know, from that, if that's, if we talk a little bit about the technology, we can talk a little bit about OTC as well. Well, that's a great question and a great issue to think about because I do think we are kind of at a crossroads in terms of where we can go in the field of audiology. I'm hearing some people who are naysayers that, you know, will say, well, audiology's done. You know, we're done because there's going to be this over-the-counter hearing aid device. And I don't see it that way. And I have a lot of colleagues across the country that don't see it that way. I think what we have to do is we have to figure out how to take these disruptive innovation pieces and work them into what we do. And I think this is not, I don't want to take credit for ideas that I know many other people have had also, but I think what we have to do is we have to sort of get back to our roots. And our roots are that we just, ironically, as we talked about at the very beginning, part of what we bring to the table is this ability to take all these different pieces of information and become a detective, as you said, and a problem solver. And we have to figure out how do you take the diagnostic information? How do you take the patient report? How do you take the family report? How do you take what the patient wants out of his or her life? How do you take all those different pieces and put them together and come up with a way to help the patient with their communication needs, obviously essentially related to hearing, how do you put that all together in a way that you can both have a profession and support yourself? I'm not asking people to uh, starve or to not not to ask for the value that we have in our profession, but sure. we have to figure out how to put all of that together. And like over-the-counter hearing aids are going to be a part of that picture. And so when the FDA released its regulations, its proposed regulations back in the fall, and we put some information out about, okay, these are out and we're going to be responding and you, you know, you can respond too. We did receive a few emails from people that said, does ASHA support, you know, over-the-counter hearing aids? And, and it was funny because I was like, well, we don't really have a choice that that's going to happen. That's been coming for, you know, since at least 2018, if not the year before that. So we don't really have a choice at this point. We are going to have over-the-counter devices. Now we did have, you know, the opportunity to have some input about what those devices might look like. And we still might not get exactly what we wanted or what we advocated for. Um, We'll see here in the coming months what FDA does with all the feedback. But 
I think we have an opportunity. And I think a lot of other audiologists think this also. The opportunity is that we get back to being that detective that helps all of our patients, whether they come in with no device or what if they come in with a device that they bought over the counter. We have a decision to make. Are we going to say, oops, I'm sorry, you know, I can't help you with anything because you didn't buy that from me or you bought that and, you know, an over-the-counter hearing aid is going to be exactly that. It's something that you don't need an audiological assessment for. Or do we say, you know, let's see this as an opportunity. Maybe a patient will purchase an over-the-counter device and maybe it will help them. But then they'll figure out, well, goodness, maybe there's a little bit more that I can do. Maybe there are some other things that I can do that can help me. So I'm going to go see the hearing healthcare specialist, the audiologist. And so we have to sort of see it as a way to get more people thinking about hearing and thinking about devices. Although we may not be attached to them directly, I think we have some opportunities to incorporate them into our practices. And I think there are some people out there that already have been doing that with some of the PSAP type devices, the personal sound amplification products. So I think we have a choice. And then I was in trying to think about where I was. Gosh, I can't believe I can't remember. But I was somewhere in the last couple of months where there were other audiologists and we were talking about then we also need to really focus in on our opportunity for audiologic rehab and what can we do to help our patients be better communicators besides the devices that they have? Because Mm -hmm. we all know, and there's some data to support that just the device alone is not going to necessarily make the biggest difference for the patient. So we sort of have to get back. And, you know, if you go back and Dakota, I bet you, if you've ever taught intro to audiology to undergrads, and I have many times, there's this, you know, the history. We know that the history of audiology really stems from World War II. And a lot of what we did was related to a real oral rehab or audiologic rehab route. And so we sort of have to get back to that. Now, one of the other pieces besides the -the over-the-counter issue that we've been working on was related to the Medicare Act and trying to get audiologists reclassified in that act from being suppliers to practitioners. Mm -hmm. Having Medicare recognize us for our full scope of practice, meaning that we get reimbursed for the rehab piece, and also trying to provide patients with direct access to audiology and not having to necessarily go through a primary care physician. So, I think those pieces, which right now are sort of hung up in the Build Back Better Act, Mm -hmm. which is stalled in the Senate, um, we have some other opportunities this year potentially to try to get those if we can't get the, you know, if the Build Back Better Act doesn't make any progress. We have some other opportunities to try to get those provisions in some other funding bills and some of the Medicare Act. But a lot of it's probably going to depend on what happens, you know, with our politicians. And that's just reality, whether we like it or not, that is the world that we live in. And it's, you know, what happens in a democracy. And so we'll keep fighting for those things. And the great news on all fronts for audiology is that a couple of the other audiology associations or associations that also represent audiologists, um, we've all been working really closely together to try to make those things happen. And so we found some common ground and we've been working together to advance those issues. And we hope to continue to be able to do that on issues where we can work together because that's where we're going to get the most bang for our buck. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective to have. And I think it's the necessary perspective to have because we're only going to move forward if we're all on the same page. And I do think, yeah, I've seen a lot of that, you know, jabber about OTCs and what does this mean? And is this the end? And I mean, I feel like in my day to day, I'm not spending too much time just, you know, programming a hearing aid. And so if I think there are so many opportunities out there for audiologists to diversify what they're doing in their day to day, and then definitely to include over the counter is, I, like you said, like this is the entry point for so many people into just recognizing hearing healthcare as kind of like an important part of their care. So yeah. yeah, I'm with you on that. I definitely see how this is a big open door. I remember in grad school when I first learned about, for some reason, the exact term is 
escaping me, not uptake, but people who, you know, are diagnosed with hearing loss, yes. who who actually, you know, are fit with something and it's so incredibly low. And there's a lot of barrier. The first thought is like, oh, well, it's because of cost. But all of the research says that's certainly a barrier for some people, but that's not even the main barrier for a lot of people. So I think the whole conversation just about what hearing healthcare is and what people think about it, it's got to change at some point. And I do see just as people just become more comfortable walking around with something in their ear. You know, this whole culture and conversation is just Mm -hmm. definitely shifting a lot. And I agree that I think it's for the better. And I think it's our opportunity to be the experts there too. We're not just, you know, hearing or communication too. So I think all of those layers have to work together. I think that's a really great perspective. And thank you for kind of peeling back the curtain there a little bit too into where the work is heading. So we're kind of coming up on the end of our time, but I was wondering, let's say there is a student or a recent grad, or not even a recent grad, a seasoned clinician, and they're saying, I really want to take on more leadership. I want to, you know, see myself as a leader and an advocate in my field. What kind of either skills at a much smaller level, you know, whether in the day to day or the week to week, should people be focusing on honing, you know, building that leadership resume to reach that goal for themselves? I think one of the resources that I would love to point everybody to, and it's really available to anybody that would like to access it, but on the ASHA website, if you go to the ASHA website and you type in Leadership Academy in the search bar, you will come to the ASHA Leadership Academy. So the ASHA Leadership Academy has some, it has 11 webinars that are free. If you want to get continuing education credits for them through ASHA, if you're an ASHA member, you can do that for a small cost. But if you just want to get the information about, you know, how do I develop relationships with other people, like in a leadership role? How do I understand how to deal with conflict? How do I coach other people? Those 11 webinars are really, really good. And they were done with a group, a couple of folks that have done a lot of consultation for ASHA around leadership development. So there's also a lot of articles that are attached there. There are a couple of assessments that you can print off and do for yourself to kind of see, you know, where are your strengths in leadership and what are the areas that you might need to try to gain some more skills. So what I would say is if I'm whether you're, you know, a student all the way to a seasoned professional, that's one place to start where things have been curated for you. And they certainly aren't unique to speech pathology and audiology, but they certainly were developed with, you know, audiology and speech pathology in mind. Sure. So start there. And then the other thing, and it's so funny because I often have people say, well, what's your leadership style? And it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know that I have a style. I do think that, You know, in this day and age with all the different social media outlets, you know, I find people that I that I like their quotes or I like the way they think or, I, you know, I pick up a book, somebody recommends a book. And so then I start to follow those people on social media. I'm kind of a sound bit person in the sense that I, some days that's just all I have time to get is a little sound bite from people. So I like, you know, some of the folks like uh, Simon Sinek and Adam Grant and Brene Brown. And, you know, those names may be familiar to your listeners. They may not be familiar at all. But the point is that what I've done is find people that are talking about leadership that I can relate to that sort of matches up with my own personal, you know, beliefs and my style. And, and I just try to spend some time, you know, figuring those things out. And when I learn things, I share them with other people. And I have lots of friends that share those kinds of things with me also, you know, at the very minimum, Dakota, often in your work setting, you'll probably find somebody in your work setting, even if they're not in our professions, but somebody in your work setting who wants to also grow their leadership skills, read something together, have lunch together, talk about it. You know, there's no right answer to most of those questions, but sometimes we learn by just having an opportunity to kind of process that information out loud with another person. So, you know, those are, again, some real practical things that people can do. And I think starting with the ASHA Leadership Academy, which again is, has a ton of resources and is available to anybody is a great place to start. 
That's great. As we were talking, I was just kind of clicking around here. I mean, there are so many great resources in here and further reading. And I think you're exactly right. Resources like this, those are the, other than connecting with others, which honestly, if you were going to ask me your leadership style, I think your leadership style is just connecting people with positivity. But I think you're right. There's just so many ways to foster these skills and work on these skills. And I love that too, that you, you know, talk about these things with someone else, bounce ideas back and forth, because you might learn something else in that process too. That's great. Well, we are just about out of time. So Donna, it's been so great talking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your experience and your story with our listeners. And I know there are a lot of leadership and advocacy nuggets in here that I'm sure people are going to take on and use in their careers. And so as many people as you've inspired so far, I'm sure you've just inspired a lot more. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I'm grateful. Happy to do it. Of course. If our listeners have any further questions for you or just wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to do it? I would say the best way to do it is to email me. And my email is my first initial. So the letter D as in Donna, last name Smiley, S-M-I-L-E-Y. So dsmiley at asha.org. And I love to interact with students and professionals and early career professionals, late career professionals. So I'm always happy to have conversations. And if you give me a couple of days, I'll do my best to get back to you. Perfect. Thank you so much again for joining us. It's been great. Thank you. It was fun. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and rating. This podcast is part of an audio course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about the CEU opportunities available for this episode, as well as archived episodes. Just head to speechtherapypd.com slash ear. That's speechtherapypd.com slash E-A-R.